Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. It's good to see everybody this morning at Trinity. How are you doing this morning? Are you ready for the holidays? How many of you are are ready for Thanksgiving? You're done. How many of you still have stuff to do? The Wawa is right down the road here. They've got gobblers and stuff and it'll be great. Uh, I'm excited. We had family here because we had a... uh, um, um, a, um, a shower for my soon-to-be-coming granddaughter. Uh, so my brother and my sister-in-law are here today. He is the, um, the older brother. You can see, wave your hand here, Tim. There you go. So make sure you say hi. He loves wet willies. And when you, just, you do that kind of stuff, it's great. Um, the, uh, um, for us, you know, the holidays are a mixed bag sometimes. You know, John kind of alluded to that. How many of you, every once in a while you get to the holidays, you know, there's a reason why you only see these people once or twice a year, right? (laughs) But how many of you know that the holidays can also be times where you can, um, you can change the narrative, man. You can change it. It doesn't have to always be bad. It doesn't have to always be scary. You can make it different. You can come with love. You know, you may not be able to change the circumstance, but you know what you can change? Your attitude. So change it. Be love. Be light. Um, I had something happen today that I've not done ever here. I think it only happened one time ever. I went to use the restroom and my mic was on. (laughs) Now, what was funny is this. You couldn't hear it out there, but everybody on the stage, they got in-ear monitors, they could hear it. And they're like, ah! I'm like, oh, what a beautiful morning! So, worship people, I apologize for that. Merry Christmas to you. Um, (laughs) Christmas for us, I think, brings a mixed bag of emotions. Uh, Thanksgiving does the same thing, because anytime you gather people, um, it's different. And we seem to mark our years by those holiday traditions and those holiday things. I remember probably the most impactful Thanksgiving I ever had. Uh, We were pastoring at a church and uh, we had the three kids, and we had nothing. When I say we had nothing, I remember it was Thanksgiving. It was coming up. It was about, actually, it was the day before Thanksgiving. It was that Wednesday. And Rob and I looked at each other. We actually had nothing. Now, what was weird was this. We were at a church, and we, we gave away a ton of turkey baskets. We probably gave away a couple hundred turkey baskets and all the meals. And I was too proud to tell people that we didn't have the money to do any of it. So we were kind of thinking about what we were going to do, and we were going to give it this fun spin with the kids and stuff like that. And all of a sudden... You know, there's a knock at our door. How many of you know that God knows exactly what you need when you need it? So I opened the door, and there's a dude standing there with a big box, and there's a turkey in it. And they came in with all the fixing. And I still remember this distinctly. You know, the kids didn't know what was going on. They just thought, oh, this is kind of cool. Robin and I were, like, crushed. Because that was probably the first time that we'd ever really experienced God as Jehovah Jireh, our provider like that. And I just remember this. They just kept bringing in box and bag, and box, and bag. Now, let me tell you something about the Greeks. We can withstand a lot of stuff. You can kick us, punch us, do all kind of stuff to us, but for the love of God, do not let us starve to death. So food's a big deal to us. So I remember they brought all this stuff in, and it it just, man, it hit us right in the heart. And then they left, and they had no idea how impactful that was for us. And there was more than enough stuff for us and everybody. Anyway, we could even want for our family. So you know the first thing we did is we called around to see who needed to eat, who needed food. 
We had desserts and all kind of stuff. It reminded me, abundance. The God we serve is a God of abundance. He just doesn't give you just exactly what you need. He always gives you abundance. Why? Because the goal of Christianity is not to just keep everything for yourself. The goal is to, to take what you have, what God gives you, and to pour it out to others. As believers, we are not a pond. We're rivers. God goes in us and he moves through us to bless others. So this whole month we've been talking about what this, this abundance looks like. You know, our, our series theme has been called Overflow. God gives us enough and more than enough for a reason in everything we do. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what it means to be, you know, to, to experience abundant life. God just doesn't give you life. What kind of life does he give you? Abundant life. That's more than normal. It's not just survival. Why does he give you abundant life? So you can keep that life just to yourself? No. He makes you fully alive so you can share your life with others. Guys, I've buried too many people that have lived their lives just for themselves. They get to the end and they realize the only thing that's really important is not all the stuff you get for yourself. It's how you've impacted others. Do you know that house that you live in? That house that you've scraped and clawed and done so much to get? It's temporary. Someday somebody else will live in your house. That car that you love, somebody else will drive that car. Unless your teenager's driving it, then they'll just total it. We are managers. We are stewards. God is the owner, right? So God gives us abundant life, more than enough. And then last week we talked about how God blesses us so that we can bless others. There are benefits to following God. To, you know, when, again, we, we learned this from the Hebrew. You know, when we follow God in his plan, as we, as we bend down and as we bless him, as we honor him by doing what he asks us to do, he comes back and he honors us. He honors us with blessing. And he doesn't give you materially just what you need. He gives you more than enough so that you can bless others. The goal is not to keep everything to yourself. The goal is to be his hands and be his feet. And to pass all that stuff along, baby. It truly is better to give than to receive. Even Jesus talked about this. He said there's no greater love than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. He's not talking just about death. He's talking about our posture of life. As you're blessed, we bless others. So there's one more thing I want to talk about before we put a bow on this series that I think is crucial for us as believers. And I think it's something that as churches that maybe we've lost a little bit of. It's this. It's having the posture of compassion. As believers, we are expected, we're required to lead the way when it comes to compassion. Now here's the challenge. Sometimes in our modern church, we value our theological understanding more than compassion. We value our denomination more than compassion. We value our, our, our clean understanding of gospel principles more than compassion. And unfortunately, sometimes in our modern Christianity here in America, it's very self-focused rather than focused on the needs of others. And that's different than what God intended it to be. Your faith was never meant to be about you and you alone. You're a part of it. I'm a part of it. But baby, we're just the start. God starts with us, but he doesn't end with us. 
He's looking for people that he can flow through to bless others, to bless the world. Now, when you look at the church, the church has a long history of showing compassion toward mankind. Early Christians pioneered the first hospitals and care facilities for the sick, for the poor, for the dying. When you look worldwide, Christianity leads the way when it comes to care. So you have that component of compassion for the church, and it's just amazing. Anytime you do that, it's great. But then there's like another gear of compassion that's just absolutely bananas. It's just ridiculous. Every once in a while, God brings somebody onto the planet that just, they don't just exemplify compassion, but they take it to another level. One of those people is Mother Teresa. Have you ever heard of her? It's a crazy story. She's a great example of starting at the, at the bottom level, the, the lowest of the low, and not worrying about anywhere else. And if you're faithful with the little things that God gives you, God elevates you and he gives you the ability to speak to, 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 to many. On September 10th, 1946, Mother Teresa, she was a Loretto nun at the time, received a call from God, an inspiration she called it, to found a new congregation devoted to the service of the poorest of the poor. After obtaining approval from the Archbishop of Calcutta and the Vatican, Mother Teresa left the safety of the Loretto convent and she began her new work, working amongst the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. The new work was called the Missionaries of Charity. This is how she started. She walked out of her comfort zone. She found the poorest of the poor, the sickest of the sick, the lepers, the little babies that were abandoned. When she'd find a leper, she would just care for the leper's source. She'd touch them. She'd give them compassion. She cared for all of the throwaways that were in society. She had really no means. She, had this, she didn't have a bank account. She didn't have some type of, 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 of fund or trust. All she had was herself and love. There's no glamour, no selfies, just love and compassion. What started with her grew to about a dozen a little bit later. And then to this day, even after her death, there's over 5,000 people that are part of, of her ministry, still caring for the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India, and across the world. In fact, the missionaries, those missionaries now, they care for people that include refugees, former prostitutes, the mentally ill, sick children, abandoned children, lepers, people with AIDS, the aged, and the convalescent. They have school run by volunteers to teach abandoned street children, and they run soup kitchens as well as other services according to all of their community needs. These services are provided without charge to people regardless of their religion or their social status. If they're in need, they're cared for. Since its inception, the missionaries of charity have helped hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. They asked Mother Teresa, why? With anything great like this, how many of you know there's always a why? Why would you do this? What compelled you to step out of your comfort and your safety to do this? And this is what she said. She said, I see God in every human being. When I wash the leper's wounds, I feel I'm nursing the Lord himself. Is it not a beautiful experience? What motivates somebody to leave their comfort zone, to leave all they know, and to step into the unknown, and to help people? Compassion. The very definition of compassion motivates us. Compassion means this, to suffer with or to suffer together. As believers, we are called 
to walk in compassion. We are called to suffer with those that have little or nothing. Because how many of you know our world can be a pretty harsh place? Have you tasted the harshness of the world? So what are we called to be in the church in the middle of this cold darkness? You know what we're called to be? Salt, light, warmth, compassion. I love what Dwight L. Moody said. This is beautiful. It says this, we're told to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody that it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. Beloved, just shine. So how are we as believers supposed to walk in compassion? What does this practically look like for us? Because this is, again, one of those Christian words that we talk about all the time, but we don't necessarily have a practical mechanism for it. What does this mean practically for you and me? Two things I just want to put in your head today before you go out and get your stretchy pants and have Thanksgiving. The first is this. You have to recognize the need. If you're going to partner in compassion, if you're going to flow in compassion as a fully devoted follower of Christ, you have to recognize the need. Compassion begins with really seeing the world around us. Now, Jesus didn't just teach us this, but he modeled this for us. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Um, if you have our app, you get all my notes, by the way. You can plug on that. If you have the U version of the Bible, if you look for live events, you'll see Trinity, you get my notes. Let me just set this up real quick. So Jesus has just got done with some ministry, and he's off. He's tired. He's off trying to recharge. And in the midst of his recharging, he has an interesting encounter that I think speaks to us. Mark 6.34 says this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. So Jesus encounters people, sheep, like you and me. And he sees the nature of sheep. Sheep without a shepherd are, are, are in dire straits. Sheep are not very defensive. Sheep are delicious. The food of my people, right? They don't have really any practical ways to defend themselves. Without a shepherd, it's a lost cause. And because of their plight, the Son of God has compassion on them. Jesus saw something in the sheep, the people, that stirred his heart. And that stirring of his heart led him to compassion. What did he see? You know what he saw? The suffering of the people around him. Beloved, we live in a broken world filled with suffering. You can't turn on the news now and not see suffering. There's suffering in the Ukraine. There's suffering in, in, in Israel and in Gaza. There's suffering on all the continents of the world right now. And even more than, than the suffering there, you don't have to go much further outside your door to encounter suffering right here in your world. How many of you know that that's true? You don't have to leave too far. The question is this, not is there suffering around us, the question is this, what do you see? What do you see? Because here's the reality of our lives. Sometimes we see, but we really don't see. We see what we want to see. We stay isolated, insulated. Sometimes we see things, but we really don't see the problem. It's like um, having a teenage child. Have you ever told your teenage child to clean their room? And then they go upstairs and you hear a flurry of things and they're downstairs two and a half minutes later. 
And you're like, what did you do? And they're like, I cleaned my room. And you go upstairs and you realize this, their definition of clean and your definition of clean are two completely different things. And for the most part, I'm just going to clear, if you've never had that yet with the kids, if you've got a teenager, you tell them to clean your room and it looks decent at face value, the two places you need to look is first in the closet. But be prepared. You open that door, you could die. And then under the bed. Everything else is under the bed, right? You know, Tori was a master putting stuff under the bed. Plates, dishes, pets we didn't even know about. You know what I'm talking about? All under the bed. They see but they don't see, right? I remember, um, this is kind of funny actually. The first time they brought us out here to, to meet the, the leadership team before we even met you guys, um, they put us up in a hotel by the airport. I think it was the Doubletree. Or not the airport, the, the, uh, the mall, the, the Doubletree. So we're there and I remember we had a meeting scheduled and we had a car somehow. And um, it was weird because at the hotel, they also had a, a convention there. It was a women's convention. Uh, it was a, a sorority, an African-American sorority there. It was older ladies. About 2,000 older ladies were at this hotel. And then there was, a, um, um, you know, there was a fraternity of young, strong guys that were there as their escorts, taking them all over the place. And it was weird. It was packed with everything. So you know, Robin and I are there. We had a full you know, day of meetings, and we were having breakfast. Is there anything better than free breakfast at the hotel? How many of you get your money's worth at the free breakfast at the hotel? So Rob and I were eating, we're going to town, and we're in the middle of our, of our meal, I have to use the restroom. So I said, I'll be right back. So I go into the restroom, and it's weird. They have like, you go into one area, and then after you go in there, there's like the men in the women's room inside. Somehow, I got confused. And I thought the men's room was on the right, and the women's room was on the left, but it was, it was, it was opposite. So I walked into the bathroom, nobody's there. I go, and I, I sit down, and I'm doing my stuff. And, and all of a sudden, I hear the door open, and I hear, like, like shoes that don't sound like dude shoes. <laughs> I hear click, 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 click. And lo and behold, the door opens right next to me, and, and, and then somebody's right there, and I hear this person's on the phone, and their voice doesn't sound like mine. <laughs> it's high, kind of feminine. I thought to myself, this person's in the wrong bathroom. <laughs> I look under thinking, yeah, there's, like, red shoes. Yeah, they're in the wrong bathroom. And then to my horror... The door opens again, and I hear a bunch of little shoes going ding, 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 and I hear like this cackling sound, and I go, that voice sounds way too high to be, to be boys. And I realized this. I was in the wrong bathroom. <laughs> now, I'm stuck in this wrong bathroom in the middle of a hotel with a women's convention guarded by men protecting these women. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'll just wait here for a second because I'm sure the bathroom will clear out even though it's a women's convention, a couple thousand women, and I sat there, and I sat there, and I sat there, and I thought, Houston, we have a problem. So my wife texted me. She's like, where are you at? And I said, it's complicated. <laughs> so finally, I waited, and there was enough lull in the thing. I thought, I'm going to seize my moment. So I texted my wife. I said, listen, I'm going to come flying out of this bathroom. You better have that car rolling because I don't know what's going to meet me out of here. So it was quiet enough. I took my moment. I went out there. I stepped out the door, and a few guys go, hey! And I said, get to the car. We jumped in the car, and we came here. <laughs> so if you were in that hotel, I am so sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was me. Sometimes we see, but we don't see. Have you ever been there? Sometimes we see, 
and we reason away what we see. Well, you know, the reason they're like that is because they did this. The reason they're like that is because they did that. If only they did this, they wouldn't be in that position. Have you ever done that? I have. Sometimes we see, but we really don't see. It's important to be open to what you see. Why? Vision activates compassion. It did it for Jesus and it does it for, it, it, it happens to us. Vision activates compassion. Don't just see with blinders. I pray this every day. Lord, let me see the world through your eyes. Let me see as you see, Lord. Do you know where that starts, by the way? With you. Allow yourself to be seen like God sees you. The enemy loves to mar the image of the creator inside of you. You're made in his image. You're an image bearer. What do you see in the morning in the mirror? Lord, let me see myself the way that you see me. And then carry that through the rest of your day. Now, beloved, here's the real truth, though. Sometimes we see what we want to see. In fact, can I take it another step? Sometimes we're so self-focused, we can't see anything apart from what we're doing, what impacts us. And our worlds get very small, and they get self-focused. In fact, I'm going to say, well, everybody say, everybody say Pastor TJ. I'll say it again like you love me. Pastor TJ. Say, we love you, because Jesus said we had to. Okay, that's good. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Sometimes, even when it comes to our faith, we've made it all about us. We have. My personal relationship with God, my, 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 we forget. God saves us for a purpose. It's not just about you getting out. It's about God saving you and then sending you back to go get others. This is a rescue mission. Are you with me? Sometimes we're so self-focused, we can't. We can't see really what's going on. I remember, um, so we're, we're, our church in Denver, uh, you know, it was a great church. It was, it was wonderful. And um, so we had right next to us, there was a, uh, a Goodwill. And, and the pastor before me, they had a brouhaha with the Goodwill, and they would tow each other's cars. It's weird. I don't understand it. So I know this from my culture and just from my experience. One of the things that brings healing is food. I learned this from a young age because if I'd hurt myself, my mom would say, here, eat something, which, you know, behold, <laughs> it still takes effect. So we had right next to the Goodwill, there was this place called Santiago's and they had breakfast burritos, like really good breakfast burritos, not the stuff from McDonald's on the dollar menu, not those things, the good ones. So I made a plan. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to get like 10 breakfast burritos every morning and I'm going to pass them out to the guys at the Goodwill. I'll keep two for myself. It's a shipping and handling fee. And we'll eat them. I remember I was heading over there one day. I could walk there. And I just had a heavy day. There was a lot of stuff going on. So I'm stuck in my world. Um, and um, as, I, as I'm there, um, one of the guys that was there is, is, is this guy. You can go to the next slide. No, uh, the picture. There you go. So that's Toby John Harris. Hard to believe. He grew. There's Robin. And then the guy in the middle, the Santa Claus, is a guy named Thurston Birdwell III. Now, we called him Bird. You know, Bird was a, uh, he was a vet from Nam. He was a ranger in Nam. By the time I met Bird, he was probably about 6'4", 400 pounds. He was Santa Claus. He looked like that year-round. 
He did that as a gig, and he made a lot of money. I remember one time me and Bird were having breakfast at Denny's in town, and a little kid comes up in July and goes, Santa? You know you're good in July if kids are coming up calling you Santa, right? So we're there, and I'm in my, my, in my thing. Bird was a secretary for me. He was great. You know, he was, he was great. And I'm there, and, and you'd go to Santiago's, and they had this little hole-in-the-wall shop, and you'd stand there like, like cattle. They'd shove you in there, but you had to go in there because it was so good. And I'm there, and I got my head. I'm thinking this, and I'm, I'm just doing this. this. And, and, and Bird was from Texas, so he had this big accent. And he goes, so you ain't talking to me anymore, huh? I look up, and two people over from me is Bird. I was so consumed with my world, I didn't even see Bird. He's 6'4", 400 pounds, and looks like Santa Claus, and I missed him in a box the size of this. Do you know why? I was focused on me. I was thinking about my stuff, my world, my problems. Now, I know I'm alone in that. None of you ever do that, right? None of you ever miss a guy that's six foot four, 400 pounds, you know, that's basically in a bathroom stall. What do you see? Are you so focused on you and your world that you can't lift your head up to see the world around you? What do you see? If you want to move in compassion, beloved, the first thing that we have to do is see beyond ourselves. See beyond all the things that you need. And look toward others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 1 John 3, 17 says this. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And Proverbs 21, 13 says this. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. So for us as believers, compassion starts with seeing. And again, you don't have to go to Africa and China and Papua New Guinea to engage in need. All you have to do is open your eyeballs and look in your own neighborhood. So I have an assignment for you. Okay? Okay? Here's your assignment. It's action on the week of Thanksgiving. Some of you are like, I ain't working. I ain't doing nothing for you, pastor. Trust me, it'll help you. I want you to practice seeing need. When you go to work tomorrow, I want you to open your eyes and really see. See your coworkers. See the people you work with. Look for ways to show compassion. When you go home today, look at your neighbors even that one that, that throws, you know, leaves in your lawn. Show practical need. I got a neighbor, I'm telling you right now, he's hated my guts for four years. Now, I think I'm delightful. So you know what I've been doing for four years? I've been loving him. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn him to Jesus and to loving the big Greek guy. We're going to be BFFs one day. And I just love him. So I'm already thinking of holiday ways, I'm just going to continue to love him. I give him stuff and he does about, I'm just going to keep loving you. It's what I'm going to do. So here's your assignment. I want you to find need, see it, and meet it. Everybody put your right hand up. Say, Pastor TJ, I promise to see need and meet it, just like you said. It's funny. Some of you are like, I ain't doing that. See need. Recognize it. The next thing we have to do is this. It's not enough just to see it. It's not enough just to see it. 
and, uh, and put on the Facebook, you know, love and prayer. Don't get me wrong. Prayer is powerful. You need to pray. But you can do other things and pray. I remember one time, uh, I don't think she'd be mad. Well, maybe she will. Uh, I was sent on, remember when, when hurricane, uh, what's the big hurricane that hit uh, New Orleans? Katrina. Katrina hit New Orleans, and we sent a couple response teams from our church in Illinois. And so we took down about, oh, maybe about 50 people. So I'm on one of the things, so one of our ladies came down, and, and, and we're at this place, and we're cleaning stuff. And she goes, oh, Pastor G.J., I can't clean and move stuff. She goes, I'm just here to pray. I said, you can pray and do things. So how about you pray? She said, no, God didn't call me to do it. I said, let me help you. Let me show you. What you Give me your hand. And she put a rag in her hand. I said, you can do this. The karate kid, you can do this and, 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 and pray. And she got mad at me, but I made her do it. And then at the end of the trip, she's like, she came crying. You're right. I should be praying and doing things. Yeah, yes, you should be. It's not enough just to see the need, but we have to respond to the need. We have to respond to it. So how do you respond to the need? What do you do? Well, here's the good part of this whole thing. You ready for this? How you respond to the need is your choice. Compassion is a choice. You can choose to do it or not. So as believers, we respond by what the Bible says is putting on compassion. Do it with me. Take this. We're going to put on an imaginary coat. Go like this. Some of you are bigger. You got to do this. You're going to put on compassion. Flip your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Sometimes we struggle with compassion because we expect God to hit us with a lightning bolt and it's just, okay, God hit me with a lightning bolt so I just have to do it. No, no. Compassion is a part of your free will. It's always a choice. It's always a choice. Colossians 3.12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Sometimes we forget compassion is a choice. People ask all the time, well, why, why don't we have more love in the world? Why don't we have more action in the world? Why is the world so selfish? Why is the world so cold? Do you know why? We are choosing not to put on compassion. And I'm not speaking to the world. I'm speaking to the church. We are choosing not to put on compassion. We're focused on other things that don't matter. Sometimes we put higher merit on our clean theology than we do caring for those that have nothing. We forget. For us, compassion is a choice. God will never make you move in compassion. God will never make you do the right thing. Some of you are waiting for lightning bolts to, to move you. That's not how this works. Compassion is a component of your free will. It's a choice. Just like we talked last week. If you want to walk a path of blessing, God lays the path in front of you, but he will not drag you down that path. He says, here, go here. This is the best path. Go, go. This is what does the Bible say about us? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Again, if you walk down the path, you honor God, he honors us. That's how all this blessing thing works. Now, when you and I choose 
to walk in compassion. When we choose to put on compassion, this crazy thing happens. We choose to partner with God on him establishing his will and his kingdom on the planet. When you put on compassion, that's what, that's what happens. His kingdom comes to the earth. That's why, have you ever thought about this? You know, when, when we look at the scriptures and they talk about the kingdom, it's here, but it's not here. If you're, you know, it's here, but it's kind of in the future, but it's kind of here now. Why is it so wishy-washy? Does God not know enough to establish the, the kingdom here now? No. You know why it's wishy-washy? You. Me. The kingdom being established here, part of it is predicated on us and our choice to allow the kingdom to flow through us to be established now. That's the beautifulness and the awfulness of free will. We partner with God. When you put on compassion, you partner with God to change the world. When you put on compassion, you become the hands and the feet of Jesus. When you help others. It's like us helping the Lord himself. Jesus talked about this. He showed, it's like a parable, but probably a future story about what this looks like. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. You don't see this preached a lot anymore because it's, it's, it doesn't fit sometimes our theology or our comfort level. I don't know if you know this or not. If you're a student of history, especially church history, there's a pendulum. So, you know, like back in the day when they established, you know, back, you know, with Jonathan Edwards, you had sinners in the hands of an angry God. If you ever read that, you want to, you know, something to scare you. Don't you, don't get you a rental of Friday the 13th. Get you a copy of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He talks about us as people like spiders dangling over the fire, getting ready to drop in. And, the, and you know, history tells us, you know, he didn't have great eyes. So Jonathan Edwards would read it like this. And then you would fall into the flame. And as he was reading, people would scream out, how are we going to be saved? Help us. Ah! And then the pendulum has swung this way. So now it's all about grace, love, mercy, goodness. You can't do anything to miss the boat. You can't do anything to not be in heaven. God loves you too much. He'd never do that. The pendulum. So how do you know what part of the pendulum we're following? It's crazy. Ready for this? You read the Bible. Scripture. All of it. This is Matthew 28, 31. 25, 31, excuse me. Jesus' words. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He'll sit upon the glory, His glorious throne all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he'll separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left hand. Different animals, both delicious. Let's keep going. Verse 34. Goat is really good if you know how to cook it. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Look at verse 37. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Now look at verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. 
That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Notice what's not on the list there. There's nothing in there about theology. Now, again, it's inferred that they're believers. Those that kept the purity of the doctrine, those that shunned the unbeliever, shunned the unbeliever, right? Our value system has to model the value system of the kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. Living righteously, all that stuff is super huge and important, but they're not mutually exclusive. And if you had to pick one, which one would Jesus pick? Be like Jesus. If you can't hear, that whole thing, what would Jesus do is a pretty big deal. If you can't hear the words coming out of Jesus' mouth, don't say them. If you can't see Jesus doing it, don't do it. Let's keep going. Look at verse 41. And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away from you, you cursed ones. And the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Is hell real? Yes. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they'll reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? Verse 45, and I'll answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they'll go away into eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life. What was the crux of all this thing? What made the sheep and the goats different? Selfishness. Those that were focused on themselves couldn't see the need around them. Never met the need around them because they never had enough money. They never had enough time because they were so consumed on themselves. That's the difference, beloved. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ without operating and moving in compassion. And that's in all areas of the gospel. We're not just talking about material things. Even when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people, there's no greater gift on the planet than you sharing your faith with somebody else. By the way, what keeps us from sharing our faith with other people? Fear. And what is that based on? You or somebody else? Me. What are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? Me, 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 me. Remember Finding Nemo? Remember the birds? Mine? Mine? Mine, 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 right? It's all on us. It starts with the gospel, then it moves to our stuff. Don't be self-centered. Don't be selfish. Be selfless. That's what Jesus was, right? So then we ask God, Lord, okay, I see need. I want to respond to need with compassion. So what do I do next? What's the practical thing I do? You ready for this? This is the crazy thing. You ready for this? You know what you do? You do what he tells you to do. Well, I can't hear God. Yes, you can. The Bible says his sheep hear his voice. If you know God, you're a sheep. Everybody say, bah. Bah. You're a sheep. Welcome to the club. Right? You can hear his voice. We do what Jesus did. Jesus, well, he was surrounded by need all the time. What did he do? He did the will of the Father. Whatever God told him to do, he did. Now, that's scary. You know why it's scary? Sometimes God may ask you to do crazy stuff, man. Like, imagine, you know, let's think about it. You know, hey, Jesus, we don't have enough food for these people. What do you have? I got a few fish and a couple breadsticks from the Olive Garden. And, okay, God, you want me to take the fish, break it, the olive garden, break it, and give it to everybody? Okay, give me what you got. Let's go. Here we go. Ah! 
And then it feeds thousands. Jesus responded to need with compassion by doing what God asked him to do. He listened. All of us have a component of listening. Your faith, you're not a robot. Listen. Um, so we're at our church in Denver. And we, we did a lot with, with feeding. We, we had a big food bank and we fed the homeless. Now, we were not allowed to house the homeless. Our city had regulations. We weren't allowed to do that. But we could be a warming shelter. So I remember it was a cold, cold December or January day. The wind was out. It was crazy. There was snow everywhere. And we had, a, we had a feeding thing. So we had about 100 homeless people come in. I still remember the day. The, the one lady that broke me, um, there was an older lady. She's probably in her mid-70s, early 80s. And she had on like a mangled fur. She had like little earrings and her makeup was kind of disheveled. And she had everything she owned in just a little, a little carry-on thing. She, she drug it like a suitcase right behind her. She came through the snow. Um, I talked to her. I said, hey, you know, what happened? And her husband died. She had no family. She had nowhere to go. So she was living on the compassion of others on the street. When you think you've got it all figured out when it comes to people living on the streets, can I just, you don't. Ask questions. Be curious. So I remember we did it, and we were feeding like hot soup and, and sandwiches and all kind of stuff. And, and everybody was gone. We had glass doors in the front of our church. And there's a few people cleaning up, and I hear a bang on the door. Bang, bang, bang. No pastor after he works wants to hear a bang on the door. I just want to go home, just like everybody else. I look down there, and there's a homeless lady out there, and she was cold. She was shivering. So I go down there, and I go, can I help you? And she goes, yeah. She goes, did I miss the food? Did I miss everything? I'm late. And I said, well, no, we have something for you. Come on in. So she came in, and I sat her down. I got her some hot coffee. I said, let me go downstairs. I'll, I'll throw something together for you. You can take out. She goes, oh, that would be great. Thank you so much. So I go downstairs to the church kitchen, and I pull out a little styrofoam thing. I'm going to throw some stuff in the styrofoam, throw in a bag, kick her out because I'm tired. Here's your food. Go find your place. We've got to get you to the warming place. It's going to be great. I know it sounds super spiritual, but I was tired. So I'm getting everything, and God started to speak to me in that little church kitchen. Have you ever been in a church kitchen? So a church kitchen, there's nothing that matches there. All the plates and dishes have been given, given to you by other people. Usually people die. They don't know what to do with them. And the Goodwill's five miles, but the church is a mile, so they just drop them off there. So I remember I'm getting stuff ready, and, and, and I was putting stuff in, in, in the container, and God said, no. I said, you, you don't want me to feed this lady? He said, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. I said, how would you like me to do it? He says, get the good dishes. I'm in a church basement. We don't have good dishes. We have some plates. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's bad. But I, I run around the bird and I find the nicest plate I can find and I put it down there. I said, okay. And I give her, put the plastic for you. He goes, no, no, no. Give her the good silverware. I'm like, we don't have good silverware. We have hand-me-downs. I remember one time, one of our ladies, Miss Martha, she's like 112. I come downstairs one day and I pass her up the steps and she's walking up the steps with our toaster. I said, Martha, where are you going with our toaster? She goes, well, my toaster died and I tithe, so now this is my toaster. <laughs> and I said, you mean old lady, put the toaster back. That is not your toaster. I bought that from the Walmart. Keep your $12 tithe, right? So I, I get the nice plate. You know, I put down the nice silverware fill up her plate, heat everything up. At this point, I'm starting to catch on. I'm Greek. I'm not great smart, but I figured some of it out. I find a goblet. I put, I put the grape juice in the goblet because we're a church. Grape juice, huh? It's everywhere. And I go upstairs to my little tray, and the lady looks at me. She says, what are you doing? I said, 
we're going to have a meal together. So they're cleaning everything up. We sit down. And I said, so tell me your story. Tell me what's going on. And she looks at me. She starts to cry. She says, I have not had a meal and a conversation with people in I don't know how many years. And she's talking and she's eating and we're la- I'm a storyteller. We're laughing, blah, 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 blah. And we had our time together. It was done. And she got up. She hugged me. I gave her another to-go thing. I'm Greek. Hello. You know, you're going to take food forever. And we got her to the place she needed to go. I don't know what seeds God planted in her that day. I don't know. Maybe she felt dignity. Maybe she felt love. Maybe for the longest time she felt compassion. All I know is this. I feel like I had a piece to play in it, whatever it was. You see and you respond. You see and you respond. You respond by listening to his voice. It's not a formula. It's a person. So for us, here's my question for you. Does your faith have action? Is your faith all up here? Or does your faith also have hands and feet? Are you responding when God speaks to you? Beloved, that's more than a check. It's more than money in a bucket in front of the Zingos. It's really listening to God, being his hands and his feet. So you have an opportunity in this season to respond well with compassion. Beloved, do it. Step out. You have your assignment. You're going to see the need. You're going to meet the need. I can't think of anybody better to model this for us than Jesus. He saw the greatest need of humanity and he met the need. He came. He died for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So I thought it'd be good today for us to celebrate, put a cap on our time together with communion. So if you've got your elements, get it out. If you need an element, go to that back table. I'm going to invite Pastor Alex to come join me. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.